do I have what it takes to be a man? Am I one? And what the heck is a man anyway? Prima donna dancing in the end zone, rock star, uh, a guy who builds his own house, kills bears. Is that what you got to be to be a man? I don't know. Because so far, that's not me. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Deb Gregory, curator of the Betwixt podcast. Thanks for joining me. If you're new to the podcast, I'm engaging conversation at the intersection of faith and culture. Most topics here fall into one of three categories, people, places, or practices that are in a middle space, that threshold betwixt and between one thing and another. Today, we're going to look at a really fascinating rite of passage that humans have practiced throughout history. It's looked different in every time, place, and culture, but the basic idea is the same. A community gathers around a boy and initiates a journey that transforms him into an adult. Through these rites, boy becomes man. But it's more than a physical transformation. It's a spiritual and social metamorphosis of identity. In recent Western cultures, this passage to adulthood is usually understood through the psychological term adolescence. Ah, yes, many of us have been through it with all the gory and the glory. Instead of a single event or the gathering of a community to initiate a child into adulthood, it's that long and drawn-out period spanning the teenage years marked by strange bodily turbulence and emotional turmoil. Psychology today calls it a time of disorientation and discovery. This is what typically guides the modern passage to adulthood. Mix in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and you've got the makings of a Hollywood coming-of-age film. But it's becoming increasingly rare for Western boys to experience an initiation into manhood through key identity-shaping communal events or spiritual rites. When Craig Glass asks the questions, Am I a man? And what is a man anyway? Everything changed for him, recognizing the lack of this rite of passage in his own life and the men with whom he worked. Craig began a program which recast traditional practices into a modern rite of passage for fathers and sons in the mountains of Colorado. Now, Craig is an old and dear friend. In fact, he and his wife, Burl, mentored my husband and I through our own rite of passage from engagement to marriage. Craig is the director of Peregrine Ministries, and he's the author of Noble Journey, the way of a man. On a recent trip back to Colorado Springs, I stopped by for a visit and recorded this conversation. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Sound like it's coming through? Listen in as Craig describes how the erosion of rites of passage have adversely impacted men in Western culture and what he is doing to help change that. Okay. You can go ahead and tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Craig Glass. I lead a ministry to men called Peregrine Ministries. Mentoring, discipling, speaking, teaching, guiding. Those are some of the things I do with men. Tell me how you got into this field. Well, it came from a career in cross-cultural ministries, missionary work. Did that for 20 years. And through a number of experiences, I became aware of the impact of fathers in particular on their families. 
creating environments of either blessing or destruction. And it just so happened the, the environment I was working in was missions. It could have been anything, but it happened to be missionaries. And it became evident over a period of time what kind of man the father is has a huge impact on who the children believe they are and who they become. Mm. Yeah. Big. That is big. And I was one. I was a father. And that's what hit me first was, what am I passing on to my kids? Is it blessing or destruction, primarily? And I wanted it to be more and more about blessing, seeing and uplifting and encouraging rather than controlling and disciplining or insisting that they perform for my benefit. Because there's a little bit of that out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. something that is, uh, I'm sure, you see resonate with probably almost every man you talk to. Yeah, a lot. I want to talk about one thing that you are very involved in uh, with your ministry, which is rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what a rite of passage is and why it's important to you? Yeah. In a simple way, rite of passage is a formal process by which a group of people or an individual guides someone else into a new understanding. I'm not quoting that from Webster's or Wikipedia or anything like that. That's just the way I would describe it. But I became aware of the significance of it when my kids were in their teens. We were raising our kids in a neighborhood that was 80% Jewish. And my daughter first, because she was the oldest, and then my two sons, when they were hitting 12 and 13, they were getting invited to countless bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. The coming of age for Jewish kids. And we encouraged it, we supported it, we helped them find transportation to do these things, so it wasn't anything we limited. But beyond that, I became aware that something profoundly important is going on here. There we go. There's a coming together of family. My son, the bar mitzvah boy. And place of faith and community. I guess I can't call him boy after today, huh? The bar mitzvah man to focus on a daughter or a son and calling them out, guiding them into an understanding of adulthood. Because I'm a guy, I was particularly interested in understanding what my role might be in doing that for my sons. Because I grew up in the church, I grew up going to Sunday school, which in one way is a rite of passage. I got baptized, that's a rite of passage. I did communion, that's a rite of passage. But as much as I benefited from those sorts of things that you get in church or youth group or my dad doing devotions around the dinner table at night and we benefited from all of that stuff, I never experienced a group of older men coming around me and peers like me and calling us out as young Christian men and saying, come here, we've got something to tell you let alone, at the end of that process, them anointing or blessing us in a public way. That didn't happen. It just is an experience that relatively few Westerners experience in a religious setting. 
in other settings, African cultures, Jewish cultures, Native American cultures, for centuries, the men in the village have called out the boys at a certain age. They take them away from the familiar and the safe, and frankly, from the feminine, and expose them to a new understanding. Separation, encounter, transformation, return, celebration. Well, those are some of the, the core components of any rite of passage. Often they include some form of wounding or challenge. We've heard stories, Native Americans, who have been severely wounded in pursuing their vision quest, for example. They all include those things. When you say that didn't happen, what didn't happen for you? That's a great question. Uh, you're, as you're asking the question, I'm also reminded that there are other settings in our culture where it sometimes does. Guy joins the football team. There's often some kind of initiation, unfortunately, often demeaning or destructive hazing. Guy joins fraternity. There's often some kind of rite of passage. A, a guy or a woman joins the army boot camp. There are rites of passage, but there are relatively few that are intentional and spiritual. And so what I missed was, I didn't even know I missed it, because it wasn't abnormal to miss it. But what I realized over time as I got older was, do I have what it takes to be a man? Am I one? And on top of that, am I a godly man? I could have answered the godly adjective better than any of the other questions, just because I grew up in the church and I was discipled, let's say. But am I really a man? Do I have what it takes? Am I one? I realized as I got older, that was a hidden, secret, intangible question in my heart that I was really uncertain about. And it wasn't about gender or sexual orientation. I knew I'm male. Am I a man? Because I never had the experience where a group of men, who clearly were men, came around to me and my peers and said, we see you. You're a man. I didn't have that. But I'm not the only one. Relatively few North American guys did. What our culture does is what I call coincidental initiation or chronological initiation. You turn a certain age and now it's legal for you to buy alcohol, to buy tobacco, to buy guns or ammunition, to buy pornography, regardless of whether or not you actually know how to use those things in a way that's not destructive for yourself or others. It's just chronological. There's no initiation related to it in most cases, in many cases anyway. You don't go through any sort of a process to think through, well, how do I go about buying and using alcohol in a wise way, let alone pornography, as if there was a wise way. So, yeah, that's what I missed. I didn't even know I was missing it. It wasn't until I got older and I started seeing gaps in what I was providing for my kids that I wanted to fill, that I realized I didn't even get this. As great as my, my parents, my family, my church, even my community, my neighborhood was in providing me with good things. I didn't get that. I didn't get initiated as a man. You said that a lot of times there's a wounding or some difficulty. Mm -hmm. The way I understand liminal space is that it's dangerous mm -hmm. and that that danger is important mm -hmm. to change us. Mm -hmm. So 
a little bit more about that. Yeah. So when I think about liminal space as it has to do with a rite of passage, I think particularly of encounter and challenge. Encounter would be that transition from that was then, this is now. That's how I, I used to see things as a child. I now see a different set of values or pieces of truth I didn't even see before. That's one piece of it. The challenge of the wounding, very, very, very often a part of rite of passage is wounding, or at least some kind of physical challenge or emotional or psychological stretch. And so I have gone through, even as an adult, men's retreats where there was a very, very intentional, emotional, and even spiritual and psychological, I, I can't draw boundaries between all of those, stretch challenge and it often had to do with walking into fear and telling the truth and admitting vulnerability and weakness and so when i do rites of passage with dads and their teenage sons i try to make sure that there's always some kind of component where both the dads and sons are guided into a situation in which they are very uncomfortable and needing to decide, am I going to reveal and tell the truth and trust and be vulnerable, or am I going to pose and fake it yet again? That's the difference between being a man and not being a man? It's one of them, yes. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of it. How I describe the difference between a boy and a man, you can see a guy who's 22 and he's male, he's not a man. And I've run into 16-year-old males who are men. To me, the distinction is a boy is convinced his life's all about him. A man is convinced his life is not just about him. It's about others. That's what he's here for. That's the line for me. In our culture, we breed young males in their 20s who are convinced, whether it's a fraternity or how stuff is marketed and sold, they're convinced they are the center of the universe. It's all about them. And in many ways, that's true. Stuff is marketed for them. In doing so, we keep them immature. We keep them emotional boys. They're not yet men. Until they learn, no, my life is not the center of the world. My life is not just about me. It's about you. I want my life to be about you. That's man. It's powerful. Yeah. Walk me through what a rite of passage would look like if, for the fathers and sons. And maybe tell me a story of, of impact. So, yeah, just through observing bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, I became intrigued by what was going on. And I was on staff at a church where I was uh, leading the men's ministry and I had the opportunity to pull together a group of men around me and start thinking through, why aren't we doing this an equivalent, significant spiritual rite of passage initiation for daughters or for sons? And what if we did? And so we started putting together ideas of what that might look like in a Christian setting. I work with men, primarily. I don't primarily work with boys. When I meet a guy who's got a 16-year-old son, way high on my list for him is, what are you doing to initiate and call out and bless that guy? 
And so that's who I go after in terms of the age of the sons. And the process we go through, we call passage to manhood. It takes varying surface forms as far as timing or packaging, but it's always essentially the same process. I find dads who have sons who are 13 to 17. That's the age group I shoot for. And I do it several times a year with different groups, whether it's a church group or dads in a high school. All their sons go to the same high school. All the sons on the same football team or volleyball team have done things like that, which I really enjoy. And it's meeting together over a period of time, whether it's a couple of weekend retreats or one long weekend retreat during the summer or meeting weekly for several weeks, Sunday afternoons. But it's, it's some sort of scheduled presentation of a number of lessons that I, I have developed that I think are just really core for men to understand. They come really out of the story when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment for us to follow? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Heart, compassion, soul, utter confidence in who God is. Mind, conviction, strength, courage. So I talk about those qualities as being very manly, masculine qualities coming right out of what Jesus taught and, and how we're designed, men and women, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But for boys, this is the direction I take it. And then I, I give them pictures. You're a lover. You have the compassion of a lover. You're a warrior. You have the courage of a warrior. You're a sage. You're a mentor. You have the conviction of a mentor. And you're a king. You have the spiritual confidence of a king. Those are the roles you walk through life in as a man. Not just for you, but for others. You love God and others with everything that you are that way. And so I teach those things, and there's many lessons coming out of each one of them, like living in sexual purity, honoring and respecting women, the value of work and challenge, building a band of brothers, those kinds of things. So we go through all these things. I teach. We do activities together. We do fun stuff, challenging stuff, trust falls, climbing walls, blindfold walks across bridges where the dads are calling their son across a, a bridge and the son can't even see where he's going. Just very symbolic stuff. But it all ends up with a blessing ceremony. We get together with the moms and the siblings and anybody who has been a part of this boy's life up to this day. So if grandparents are around, we want them there. If uh, a Boy Scout pack leader is there, we want him there. If a youth pastor is there, we want him there. So they're invited to come and be witnesses of an initiation. And so when we come back down the mountain, as I like to call it, the boys and dads know we're going to come together for a celebration and there's going to be storytelling. I'm going to ask them some questions and it's going to be up to them to decide how they want to answer them with the rest of their family. But the culmination of it is I ask the moms and dads to come up one at a time, each, each family. I interview the dads and the sons and then I ask the mom if she would like to, to say anything about her son that she wants. And often, they do want to say something, and it usually has something to do with, I prayed for you since the first day I was pregnant. 
or this has been my verse for you the last 17 years. There's just words of love, very, very tender. And it's really neat to hear. I always tell the moms it's optional. They don't need to say anything if they don't want to, but most like to. And I tell the dads it's not optional for them. They're going to say something, and I help guide them as to what might be a pattern to follow. I suggest, for example, the words that Jesus, Heavenly Father, said when he was blessed in public. I love him. I'm really proud of him. Listen to him. Those four things. There's identification, there's affection, there's affirmation, there's anointing. Those things are powerful. Jesus was baptized, came up out of the water, and was unheard of up to that point. But after that, he changed the world, changed history. And so I encourage dads to follow that kind of a pattern. Express love, express affection. Say something that you see in your son that you admire and respect. If you can speak a word about what you see him becoming, who he is, say that. And it's always extremely significant, often very emotional. In fact, it's not unusual for the dads to get so choked up they can't continue. And the mom takes his notes and she finishes reading. It's not unusual. Dads often are so overcome with the significance of the words they're saying because they didn't hear them themselves. They didn't get it. And so one of the things in my mind when I invite fathers and sons to do this is uh, I let the dads know, hey, this is about your son. We're going to meet him where he's at. We're not going to require him to jump through hoops, but we're going to meet him where he's at. But later on in the process, it becomes very, very apparent to the dads, holy cow, this is really for me too. And it is. It's for them too, because they didn't get it. So, and then the dads give the, the sons a gift, a uh, symbolic gift. It's a, a compass that I usually order for them and get it engraved with the boy's name. And we celebrate. That's what it looks like. It's awesome. Is there a story you feel comfortable sharing that really has impacted you? Yeah, there are a lot. One of the things that impacts me the most, it has to do with the challenge that I ask the dads and sons to go through. Prior to our weekend retreat, the last retreat, I have them interview their family members on mom's side and dad's side, going back three generations from the son. If they're not alive, we'll then ask the ones who are about them. And I have them take notes on uh, who they were, where they lived, where they came from, kind of what their story is, what their roots are, but two big things for any person on this chart that they present. What are the good qualities, positive, life-giving qualities? Believers, hard worker, stayed married, integrity, strong character, that sort of thing. Write those things in blue next to each character. What were the things that were harmful or destructive? Alcoholism, explosive temper, jail divorce, drug abuse. Write those things next to anybody that it pertains to in red. Once they've done that and they put it on this, this sheet for us to see and the, the sons and dads walk us through it, it's very evident the blessing that gets passed on from generation to generation and or destruction. 
it's very, very evident. Divorce just keeps showing up. Alcoholism just keeps showing up. Strong family background or strong faith keeps showing up. And so I asked the sons, and I prepare them ahead of time and let them know before they're standing in front of everybody. And this is just at the retreat, not with the moms and family. I asked the sons, when you present this, I'm going to ask you, which of these blue things do you see in yourself or that you admire and you want to live more and more and more? To affirm that, which of the red ones do you see showing up for you? Is there anything you see happening? Strong temper, laziness. Do you want us to pray for you that this will end with your generation? And they always do. They always do. The dads, I ask a similar series of questions, but mostly it's the son who tells the story. And I say, dads, I'm going to ask you one question, and it's up to you to decide how you want to answer it. But I promise you, I'll ask you. Of any of the red qualities that have come down through your family background, that have shown up in you, have you passed them on to your son? Do you want to confess that? And do you want to apologize to him for that? And they always do. And it's amazing, it's courageous, it's vulnerable, it's honest, it's man-to-man. -man. It's a dad just saying, finally, I'm so sorry that time I hit you. And then the boy starts crying, and the dad starts crying, and they hug each other. And I ask the son, is there anything you want to say to your dad in return? Dad, I forgive you. Often, often, these things happen. So it's a very powerful thing. It's not like they have to kill a lion. It's not like we tattooed them or they, we chopped off a finger. This is our version of, this is a liminal space. They're going into it, one guy, and they're encountering challenge and fear and walking through it. Yeah. Oh, you got me crying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Oh, wow. Wow, what a gift hmm. God has given you to facilitate yeah. transformation. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, uh, I've i done it long enough to recognize you're right. It's not because I'm good at it. It is a gift. And it comes out of woundedness. It's what I believe about passion. Not always, but often. It comes out of woundedness. We experience pain ourselves and that deep pain, God can redeem and turn around 180 degrees and, and turn it into insight and compassion and passion. Yeah. And so this comes out of my own woundedness, going back, back to that question I mentioned a while ago. Am I really a man? And what the heck is a man anyway? Prima Donna dancing in the end zone, rock star. Uh, a guy who builds his own house, kills bears. Is that what you got to be to be a man? I don't know. Because so far, that's not me. What would you say has been the pivotal moment for you where you said, I'm changed and this is the course of my life? There's at least one. Well, in fact, I know there are two or three. I'll tell you one. Okay. I call them Kairos moments. A significant moment in time when the trajectory changed. Working at the mission agency, I, I already referred to this lightly. Working at the mission agency, training, preparing, sending, overseeing missionaries on the field. We also saw 
um, missionary casualties, just like any other mission agency. And we wanted to, to reduce those casualties as much as possible. People who couldn't get along with teammates, essentially. That was usually the problem. And so we tried to do a better job in the course of our training, not only to prepare, but to hear stories and counsel and determine, are there some of these folks who should not be going? Maybe someday that person ought to be going to Jamaica or the Philippines or France, but not today, at least not with us, because he or she is too wounded, carrying too much pain that we can tell will get inflicted on other people. And so a part of my job was to hold them back, to, to tell them when they're, they're not able to go. And we worked with Christian counselors, very competent people who helped us. I did that role for 15 years. And it took a while, but I started to notice a pattern. But once I saw it, it was predictable. Those who we could tell they are not ready to go into the demands of cross-cultural ministry for whatever reason. It could be explosive temper. It could be poor self-esteem. It could be overcome with shame. It could be sexualizing their relationships with any guy they saw. Didn't matter what the issue was. Didn't matter if it was a woman or a guy, single or married. When you peeled away the layers of the story, it almost always I would say more than 90% of the time, came back to the same common core factor. Their dad, their relationship with their father. That was what smacked me between the eyes. It was just enormously personal for me. What in the world am I passing on to my kids? That's really more my woundedness than it is them not living up to my expectations or reflecting well on. And once I realized this, you could just see it. You could see it coming. And if it was a, a leader who was dominant and intimidating and demeaning to other people, I'd get him in my office and I would say, tell me about you and your dad. Or if it was a single woman who was dressing inappropriately or presenting her way in an enticing way as a pattern, I knew eventually we're going to need to ask her, tell me about you and your dad. And almost always, Deb, you're going to find out the core of the story. It's about their dad. Golly. It's called the father wound. Those who work in any form of counseling understand the father wound, whether they're believers or not. It's huge. It's deep. I stumbled across it myself. I'd never even heard of it before. That was a Kairos moment. Yeah, so that changed my whole career. 20 years of missions, that changed 25 years ago, something like that. Can you tell me any maybe personal story of a moment where you said, this is fruition, this is flourishing, this is why I do this? <laughs> well, like, like I said, those moments where the fathers confess honestly and openly and the sons forgive, that's huge. It's not a one-time deal. I've seen it many times. I've seen dads who have a relationship with her son that's what I would call normal. It's not healthy, but it's normal. So there's tension. There's some degree of animosity. There's awkwardness. They don't really know how to talk to each other or relate to each other. That's pretty common. Dads in a relationship like that with her son, who today, 20 years later, the son has graduated from seminary and he's pastoring a church. I've seen that. 
it's just, yeah, enormously encouraging to see somewhere down the line the fruit comes out. And by the way, honestly, a lot of times the boys don't really get what's going on. They don't. I mean, they're 15 for Pete's sake. All they know is dad invited me to do some crazy thing with some other guys. I'm just glad the rest of my buddies are coming. And that's often the way it is, like I said, either high school or church group. And they learn lessons. They observe stuff. And when they come back in that celebration ceremony, I, I ask them, what's one of the lessons that stands out to you? And very, very often, it's, it's okay as a man to be compassionate. Many times I've heard boys say that. I didn't know this was okay. It's okay to be compassionate. I love that, because our society doesn't show that. It's okay, our society says, to be stiff and distant, in control, and intimidating. No, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to show them. It's okay to let somebody else know they're safe showing you their feelings. Those are the kinds of things that come to my mind, and I, I've just seen them many, many times. Oh, well, that's awesome. Thank you, Craig. Is there any last thing that you would want to share about that? Yeah, I guess I would say that I feel like one of the most profound things that our culture needs is an introduction for boys into what it means to be a man. I met a, a Kenyan pastor once who did rites of passage with boys in his country, which have been practiced there for centuries. And he said, we have a saying, we have a, a proverb in Kenya. The boys in the village must be initiated or they will burn down the village just to feel the heat. <laughs> I heard that and I just thought multiple pieces about our culture just came together. Whether it's gang violence, just some guy tell me, you got your eye on me and I belong. I'll do whatever you ask. Or... It's serial killers in high schools or movie theaters or shopping malls, wherever it is. It's almost always going to be a male. I'm intrigued by Craig's view that men impact society with blessing or destruction. In fact, it rings quite true personally. I've experienced it in profound ways, both the blessing and the burning village. Well, I have lots of questions about what it means to be a man and, and how it's informed socially and religiously. I appreciate Craig's work with men, calling them out to bless the world around them. His efforts to facilitate vulnerability, courage, and generational healing in the fathers and sons he meets with, it moves something deep within me. It's been many years since my father died, and every so often, the voice of an older man storms into my life with words of affirmation and blessing, and every time, it knocks me off my feet as it echoes into a void I rarely recognize exists. And Craig has been such a voice of blessing for me. 
So I'm really thankful for the conversations that we've shared over the years and for this one that we've shared with you today. And I hope his voice and perspectives have stirred questions, longings, or perhaps even an awakening to healing in your own life. So I'd love to hear from you. What kinds of rites of passage have you experienced and, and how have they impacted you? You can reach out at betwixtpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash betwixtpodcast. To hear more stories like this, I welcome your support by subscribing to the podcast, sharing, and making financial donations as you're able. I think our culture is desperate for this kind of initiation to be going on with teenage boys. Because without it, they'll burn down the whole village just to feel the heat and take as many with them as they can. Yeah, so let's end with that. Mm-hmm.